Welcome to our C3 Grow podcast. Wherever you are today, we hope that this message encourages you. We'd love to see you in person at one of our three locations, Howick, Ormiston, and Suva. Visit c3grow.org for details. I'm going to take this opportunity uh, to preach a message that I think is a good message. Uh, as opposed to all the other ones, which I think are like, nah, so-so. I'm going to preach a good one today. Uh, No, I'm going to preach a message that I think is a good message to preach in church every so often. Let's go to the Word of God. Uh, I want you to come with me to the 12th chapter of Romans. The 12th chapter of Romans. And we're going to begin by uh, reading verse 1. Uh, It's really verses 3 to 5 that I want to speak to today. Uh, But I think a quick examination of something here in verse 1 will be worthwhile before we get there. So Romans 12 and verse 1. Romans 12 verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So here in verse 1, Paul appeals to his readers to present or to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. Here's my paraphrase of that. Paul is saying that they ought to go all in for God, withholding nothing from him. The image of the body being offered is intended to convey this, that everything is on the altar and nothing is withheld. Now, the idea of a living sacrifice is intended to be juxtaposed here aside the image of the Old Testament sacrifices in which the blood of a dead animal was shed as an act of substitutionary atonement. That is what a lot of the book of Leviticus is about. It's about the establishment of a temporary system through which people could temporarily find atonement for sin. And so in the system, uh, the people would sin, and their sin would make them guilty according to the law. It would disrupt their right standing with God and with each other and with the created world. And that made them extremely vulnerable. And so to restore their position of right standing, they needed to perform the offering of a sacrifice. Through the sacrifice, the right sacrifice offered in the right way, through this, they could make amends. They could settle the debt that they owed to God on account of their sin because the death of the sacrifice would temporarily atone for their sin. And so they would sacrifice. They followed the Old Testament's sacrificial system, seeking abolition, absolution for their sin. And in his mercy and forbearance, God would accept these sacrifices for their atonement. But again, this was only a temporary system 
through which people could temporarily find atonement for sin. Neither the system nor the atonement that it provided was permanent. Actually, uh, something of the purpose of this system is to be seen in its insufficiency. These sacrifices were foreshadows pointing to the then coming better sacrificial substitutionary atoning death of Jesus Christ. Once Jesus came and performed this great work, sacrificially dying and atoning death on the cross as a perfect, unblemished sacrifice for sin, once he has done this, there was no longer any need for the foreshadows. They had found their fulfillment in Christ, uh, who is the completely sufficient sacrifice for sin. Now, you'll hopefully see all of this uh, dealt with well in Hebrews chapter 10. Come with me there for just a moment. We're doing some theology right up front so I can get to the point quickly later on. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through to 3. says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, uh, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So here's the Old Testament sacrificial system. You sin again and again. So you bring uh, these animals to sacrifice at the altar again and again for your absolution from sin. But these animals and sacrifices could never deal decisively with the issue of sin. They were like a band-aid solution but they were a regular reminder of the seriousness of sin. And also, in their insufficiency, they pointed God's people towards God's promised provision of a Messiah who would deal decisively with sin in the way that those sacrifices could not. Now, down in verse 12, we see the author of Hebrews identified Jesus Christ as this Messiah and his atoning work as being completely sufficient to atone for sin. Hebrews 10 verse 12. But when Christ, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies had been made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So all of these Old Testament sacrifices, they needed to be brought regularly to the altar again and again. And no matter how many times these sacrifices were offered, the issue of sin was never decisively dealt with. But then, in the giving of his son, God provides a perfect sacrifice who by a single offering perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, which is us. And thus, 
no further sacrifice is needed. Does that make sense? So, um, why then, if Christ is the single sacrifice, totally sufficient, why does Paul say to present your bodies as a sacrifice? Why? Because isn't sacrifice as a concept something that was crucified along with Christ and the Old Testament sacrificial system? Of what use is sacrifice to we who have been freely justified by that great single offering? Well, um, we know that sacrifice is not to deal with sin. Couldn't possibly be that because Christ has already done that. No, this is because this going all in for God withholding nothing from him, this is the only reasonable response to what God has done for you in Christ. It's the only reasonable response to what God has done for you in Christ. Now, I love that word, reasonable. Reasonable. Uh, the ESV, which I tend to read from, it puts it this way. As verse 1 closes, it says, This act, this going all in for God, withholding nothing from him, this is your spiritual worship. Do you see that? Yeah. Now, I love the ESV, but I think on this occasion, other translations put it slightly better. The NIV says, This is your true and proper worship. Yeah, I like that better. The NLT says this is truly the way to worship him. Now, both of those, to my mind, are better than the ESV in this case. But it was the King James that I found most helpful here. It was the King James that helped me to see that Paul sees this sacrifice not as for one's sins, but as one's reasonable response to what God has done in Christ. The King James says this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable service. The reasonable response, the logical response, the only response that really makes sense to what God has done in Christ is to go all in, to withhold nothing from him. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of Christ, in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, that is your reasonable service. Now, if you move on now from verse 1, the way I read it, Paul is setting up the following three chapters of Romans here. And over the next three chapters, he's going to illustrate what this looks like in the living of the sacrifice. For example, Paul's going to say this in verse 2, offering your lives to God in this way, you need to make sure that you're not conforming to the pattern of this world, but rather you're being transformed by the renewing 
of your mind. And then he's going to continue from there, uh, providing more illustrations of what the living of this living sacrifice actually looks like. Okay, all of that to get here. Now here we are, we're in verses 3 to 5, which is where we want to be this morning. Paul has something to say here about how a person who has gone all in for God, withholding nothing from him as a reasonable response to Christ's sacrifice for them, how are they going to interact with the body? Not your body, but with Christ's body, the church. By the way, uh, I don't think we truly understand or are suitably impacted by the significance and the wonder of Christ joining us with him in his body. Uh, This is an astounding reality. Uh, It's one of those glorious realities for which every attempt of mine to articulate and convey the weightiness of this just falls short because of my limitations. But I pray that the Holy Spirit today would exhilarate you with the revelation of this. You are a part of the body of Christ. You are a part of the body of Christ. So Paul says in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members uh, one to another. Elsewhere in, in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27, Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That is amazing. Now, here's the thing. In both Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, I see Paul emphasizing belonging and responsibility. Belonging and responsibility. Belonging. You are a part of us, a part of the body. You are as much a part of us as anyone is a part of us. You are as much a part of us as we are of ourselves. Christ has made you a part of us as we are a part of him. You belong. And also, with belonging, you have a responsibility. As you are a part of us, you've got a part to play. In fact, you've got gifts and talents that differ from mine which, which God has given you to play a part in the function, the growth, and the health of the body. So, how will these people, you people, how will you people, now that you've gone all in for God, withholding nothing from him, which is a reasonable response to Christ's sacrifice for you, how will you interact with the body? Paul writes in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now that's generally good social advice. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think of yourself. 
Don't think of yourself more lowly than you ought to think of yourself either. But rather, just think of yourself with sober judgment. Good social advice. If you absorb that idea and you let it influence all of your interactions with people in every context, that's going to be a good fruit, right? And, and honestly, that is how we tend to think of this verse, as belonging uh, to every context, generally uh, for application in all of our interactions. But um, given the context immediately ahead of us in verses 4 through to 8, I think of verse 3 as specifically having to do with gifts, as in what you bring to the table here in the body of Christ. Remember, this is to do with how these people who have gone all in for God, withholding nothing from him as a reasonable response to Christ's sacrifice for them, how will they now interact with the body? This is what Paul seems to be saying here. Look, you've been given a gift. You are gifted. You've been given an ability. You've been given a point of difference to bring to the table in the complementary service of God and others. Now, don't ruin it by taking something that was given to you as a gift and making it a source of boasting and inflating your sense of self-importance. That's what Paul's saying, I think. And remember what James says. We spent all of this time on James. You'll remember it. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And we remember these famous words of Jesus. And we'll begin to draw to a close with these. We read from Mark 9, 33. Jesus and his disciples came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, Jesus asked his disciples, what are you discussing on the way? What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and a servant of all. Let me tell you this, uh, based on my experience. A desire to be first, a desire to be the greatest, a desire to be preeminent has been for so many a snare which has neutralized their potential spiritual usefulness. I'm going to say that again if I can remember it. A desire to be first, a desire to be the greatest, a desire to be preeminent has been for many a snare which has neutralized their potential spiritual usefulness. And I have seen so many people stumble, not over their weaknesses, but over their gift. And so Paul says, no, no, no. Think, think with sober judgment. And here's what sober judgment says as it stands upon the altar as a living sacrifice. It says this, God, whatever I am and whatever I have within your purpose and within your body is on account of who you are and what you have done. 
what good thing do I have that doesn't come from you? The gifts that you have are given to you to glorify you and to serve your body. That is their highest purpose. So whatever else you use them for, use them for that. And in that, they will find their full potential. So, you have a gift. You have a gift. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. It's for the altar. God gave it to you so that you would have something to give at the altar. And it is a part of presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, your reasonable service. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. For more information about our church, you can find us online at c3grow.org. 